sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. exalt your name this morning be glorified be magnified be enthroned O God on the praise and thanksgiving and gratitude of your people thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us thank you that because he lives we also live thank you for eternal life thank you for your unspeakable gifts Holy Spirit we welcome you into our midst. Let there be a feeling of the Holy Spirit in this place and in every life. Let the unction of the Holy Spirit flow down through this vessel into the lives of your people represented here. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for grace. Thank you there is not he who willeth nor he that runneth, but you who show mercy. Let your mercy be shown by using this vessel this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. So first of all, I want to thank Almighty God for the opportunity to be here, for the privilege of being used as a vessel. I always say that if I was choosing vessels, I would not choose vessels of clay. I would choose vessels that would be worth my investment, gold, platinum, diamond, or something but not vessels of clay like you and I. But the Bible says that it is so, so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen. I also want to thank my husband, the bishop, for releasing me to be here. When I say releasing, it is literal. Because there are times when I have to go somewhere and then... I'm told that it won't work, or it's not the right time, you know? And so I thank him for releasing me. I also want to greet Bishop Ai. And his anointed wife. Amen. For all their tireless efforts. And making this program come off and happen. I salute them. And may God who sees from heaven reward them. I also want to acknowledge Reverend Joe Ajay. Lady Pastor Philippa. Amen. 
thank every one of you for being here. And last but not the least, Pastor Gustav. For being such a great host already. Amen. Yesterday, we spoke about open my eyes, Lord. And we spoke about the fact that when we read Hebrews 11, 24, the Bible says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. The Bible had told us before that verse so many things that he had done by faith. It said by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, chose rather to suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It said also that by faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, because he had, he had his eyes on the recompense of the reward. It means that what will come for what he does, the reward for losing all these things, he had his eyes on it. And the Bible says, and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I like the Bible because it doesn't, it's not hypocritical. It says that Moses refused to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So sin is pleasurable. The Bible doesn't mean sweat about, oh, I mean, sin is evil, but it's very, very pleasurable. Don't you remember when you were with that foolish boy? It was very pleasurable. But how can he forsake a palace for a desert life? How can he go not knowing where he was going, who he was going to meet, and not knowing anybody? Not even, you know, the missionaries that we have, God bless their hearts. But even when you are going, usually you have the churches backing. Somebody knows that you are here. But this one, you are just going. And you don't even know what. And the only reason is because God has called you. When God calls you, it's an awesome responsibility. And when he calls you, he leads you through many faces. So he ended up in the wilderness. How did he survive those 40 years? When they say you have been called to be a deliverer and a judge over God's people. In the first place in Egypt, the very thing that God has called you for is the area where you will be questioned, is the area where you will be tempted, is the area where you will be tried, and is the area where you feel like giving up. Because when he went to fight the two Israelis, they were fighting, he tried to separate them. He said, who made us a judge? Who made you a judge and a ruler? over us. And that's exactly what God had called him to be. So before you even start, there will be question marks. Who made you a judge and a ruler over us? Many human beings will not even see that call. But in spite of the rejection, in spite of leaving the comforts of home, you get to a desert and all that you are doing is tending sheep. It doesn't seem to have any correlation with God's call on your life. Sometimes in the church, you are just cleaning, loose, you are just serving food. How is it related to my call? Lady Reverend, I'm called to the stage. There's nothing like that. Anybody God calls, he calls from the backside of the desert. Jesus was through the wilderness before he came. 30 years he was walking around just doing carpentry work, not even looking like the son of God. And only three years of ministry. It takes 30 years to prepare you for only three years. 
of ministry. But some of us, when we get to a few places, we feel that we have arrived, we are okay, we are the latest man of God in town. You know, any small thing that happens, you freak out. It's not like that. God is working on our character. Because if we don't have that character, we can't stay. Your giftings and your callings are great. But to survive, you need a certain character. And character is birthed through brokenness. Amen. God called David. But when he called him, Saul was alive. He anointed him at different times. So has the Lord not anointed you and all that? But he never saw the throne. He was just playing the harp, serving Saul, going out to war, almost being nothing. So when you look, I say, when will God's plan come to pass? Some of us would like to put some instant thing, the thing to, for it to hasten to come and pass. You say, ah, playing a harp for a demon-possessed king. And then being the king of Israel, how are they related? But playing the harp is a way of bringing you into the palace so that you can learn palace protocol. And God uses all that to train you. You will be in the cave of Abdullah and you don't know why you are there. Why Abdullah? Why am I here? The Bible says all the people who followed him were destitute, poor people, people in need. A king, only my kingdom is only full of ne'er-do-wells. Can that be? But God was using all that to bring him into that place. And even when he has brought you into that place, you continue serving. It's not the end. But most of us, when we arrive, they say, I'm the man of God for the moment and the season. It's not like that. So how do you endure all these contradictions of life? How do you endure all the things that don't seem like what God is saying? How do you endure the pleasant and the unpleasant? It's by seeing the invisible. For he endured Because he saw the invisible. Amen. Amen. And I believe that when he was in the desert, he hardly had any encounters with God. So that it was just the burning bush that God used to draw his attention. He didn't even know that where he was standing was holy ground. And God said, remove your shoes because where you are standing is holy ground. But because he kept seeing the invisible, what does the Bible say? Looking unto Jesus. It means looking unto that which you can't see. Looking unto that which your senses cannot contact. That is what keeps you going. So we need open eyes to see God. And we read about the servant of Elisha. Who when the king, the enemy king came and surrounded them. He woke up in the morning to just, you know, freshen up. And then he saw a host, an army, horses, chariots coming for them. Just here and Elisha. How would they overcome such a great army? He said, alas, my master, what are we going to do? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes. He didn't say, Lord, send the army back. Lord, fight the army. He said, Lord, open his eyes. And when the Lord opened his eyes, he started to shout, my master, the chariots, the fire, all around the mountain. His eyes were open to see the forces that back us. The legions of heaven that are on our side. The type of power that God has for us. We just read about it. But we need revelation. We need open eyes. We need to see the invisible. So that we can continue fighting. And we can win the battle. Amen. Amen. There was also an old prophet. And then uh, the king's wife, Jeroboam's wife came to inquire of the prophet. And the husband says, disguise yourself. Make yourself like another woman, not who you really are. 
And I said that many of us are other women in the church. There's a lot of duality, triplicity, duplicity, quintuplicity, everything. It's in the church. He said, become another woman. And the prophet was blind physically, but spiritually, his eyes were open, open to see the invisible. So when the woman said, come in, that wife of Jeroboam, the woman was very surprised. Oh, my disguise, didn't it work? This man is supposed to be blind. But your spiritual sight is more important than that which your naked eyes can see. And then we talked about Hagar going into the wilderness. Abraham had sent, him, had sent her away like some men do. When I was um, practicing law, and I often used to go to the family tribunal. Thank God, I never did any divorce case, neither did I intend to. But as I went there, the court was always packed. And before you get there, there's this little corridor. And as you are walking along the corridor, uh, uh, wives who have been abandoned, girlfriends who have had issues with the men, are all sitting there. And as the people are filing into the court, they are insulting them. Look at him, foolish man, irresponsible. Hey, am I the one you are talking to? If you were responsible, would you? Hey, it's not easy. When they come into the courtroom, they have to behave. But every time, it was the men not looking after their children. It was the men not paying child maintenance fees. It was the men neglecting what they should do. I thank God we have Holy Ghost men now. Amen. And some of them will come and say the maintenance is inadequate, what they give. You know, and that's exactly, it started from the time of Abraham. I mean, if God says, send Hagar away, he didn't say, don't give her anything. You give her a water bottle and a loaf of bread. Ladies, you see, that is why you must be like the virtuous woman. You consider a field and you buy it. Amen. Because when they give you water bottle and bread, you say, oh. That's all he gives me. What will I do now? You and God are a major team. And you can make it. Daughter! Amen. The immigration officer asked one of the Ghanaian delegates, what are you coming to do? She said, I'm coming for a daughter. You can make it conference. So why? Are the daughters not making it? (laughs) Amen. I said, oh, we are always making it. That's why we're always making it. And in Ghana, the sons, when Bishop Sachs says, sons, said, we have made it. I said, Humble yourself under the mighty hand. We'll exalt you. So anyway, Abraham just gives her a bottle of water, a cruise of water and some bread. And she goes to the desert, the wilderness. There's nobody. There's no life. She's just left with her Ishmael. And then she goes to sit across from the child. And leaves the child. I don't want to see him die. I know he's going to die, all right. But I don't want to see him die. So the Bible says she lifted up her voice. And she wept. And the lad was also weeping. And an angel of the Lord came and said, Hagar, why weepest thou? And then she was wondering, where is she? Whatever. And then the Bible says the Lord opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. And she took her bottle and she went to fetch. And the well never dried out. So it shows that we need a certain invisible eye to be aware of God's provision for your life. Hallelujah. Many times God has already provided, but we are worried. 
You have sleepless nights. The Bible says it is, it is useless to wake up early to eat the bread of sorrows. To eat the bread of sorrows. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord watch the city, the labor in vain. Some of you, you have made yourself a personal watchman of your husband. Where are you? Why did you talk to her? Where did you go? Whatever. Except the Lord watch the city. The watchman watches but in vain. Amen. I used to have some uh, ladies in the church. They are still in the church, but now they have stopped making themselves personal watchmen. They were married to unbelievers and they were like private detectives. They are driving, they park under some tree, they look, they this, they that. For years. I was just telling one before I came that one day I'll call you to give your testimony. And I said, this one is tiredness. You have petrol, time, calling. And when the person comes, you'll be asking, where did you go? I went for a meeting. You went for a meeting. I saw you, you are like that. I said, hey, this personal Holy Ghost, you can't be. Because whatever we all want to do, we can do. It's just the Lord and the fear of God that keeps us walking. But as they grew, they told me that this one, only tiredness, so they have stopped. They have resigned from that job. And one of them told me, since she resigned, every time the husband comes, says, she doesn't say anything. Oh, hi, do you want a drink? Won't you ask me where I, uh, uh, I'm coming from? Won't you ask me where I've been? Won't you ask me? So it's not necessary. Hey, it's not necessary. Why? That rather is bringing results. So except the Lord watch the city, they labor in vain that watch it. But if you will see his, he that is invisible, in that, you see, look, it's God who takes care. Even your children, sometimes, when the child minder, you come and he says that the child fell, you are angry, but when you are there, the child falls and somersaults. It's only God who keeps them. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Amen. Amen. And this morning, I just want us to continue. Ask the Lord to continue to open our eyes so that we may see him. Because when we see him, we will be different. Amen. Amen. Genesis 28. As for Genesis, you should know where it is. If you don't know Nahum and things, we'll take it like that. But Genesis, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to, to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, 
and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Amen. Amen. If your eyes are not open, you can be in a place and you don't know where you are. You can be in a place and you see only the physical components of the place. You can be in a place and you can miss out on God. The Bible says when he got there, Jacob, the sun had set. He couldn't continue his journey. He didn't even have a pillow. He didn't carry anything soft. So he just took some stones and put them down and put his head on it and lay down. It was a very solitary place. It was a very lonely place. And remember, he had just swerved his brother and acted so deceitfully. He had come to this place where he was alone. He didn't know what lay ahead. The only thing he had was the blessing of his father. But in reality, he had nothing. He had no money in the bank. He had no investment anywhere. He had no future. He had no family. He had nothing. But as he lay down to sleep, the Bible says that he had a dream. He saw a ladder that was from earth up to heaven. And on top of that ladder, there was God. And God spoke to him and said that, if you will obey me, and if you walk according to how I've said, I will do so many things for you, and I'll also bring you back to this place. And then when he got up, he said, how dreadful is this place? It was dreadful. He said, the Lord was here, and I knew it not. In the same way, you may be lying on stones today. But the Lord is in it. Like I said yesterday, in the storm, the Lord is in it, but you don't see. You need spiritual eyes to see. So the Lord is in the place. The Lord is in the situation. The Lord is in the circumstance. The Lord is in that difficult marriage, but you knew it not. So how dreadful is this place? But after the Lord had opened his eyes, he said, Surely, the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it, but he is. He didn't say, oh, the Lord was there, and I didn't know. He is here. And then he said, this is none other but the house of God. A place of stones, coldness, fear, fright. And you say, this is the house of God. How do you come by that? By seeing that which is invisible. How do you come by that? By having a certain eye that you don't have in the physical. Now you say it's the house of God. The gate to heaven. This is the gate of heaven. 
But he's the same person who has said, how dreadful is this place? Frightening. But it is the house of God. The Lord is here. And it is even the gate to heaven. When you go through a rough time, do you see it as a gate to heaven? Because the Bible says through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom. In the time of tribulation, in the time of lying in, on stones, do you see the gate of heaven? I think that it is God's will that not everything here should be perfect. Because if it were, some of you will refuse to give your lives to Christ to even go to heaven. Even with all the trials and tribulations, some of you have made your tents permanently here. And you just cannot think of anything eternal. The Bible says God shall wipe away their tears. Why? Because there's a, there are a lot of tears on this earth. And God will wipe away those tears when we get to heaven. But in the tribulation, do you see God? It's through tribulation that we enter. It's the transit point. If you don't go through tribulation, you don't enter the kingdom of God. If he had not laid there on those stones, he would not have experienced the presence of God. His eyes would not have been opened. He would not have known that God was there. So this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. When you go through a rough time, do you see that this is the hand of God? When you go through a humbling time, do you see that this is the refining pot of God? A refining furnace. Do you see that way? This is what is making me more dependent on God. Because when everything works, you feel that you are in charge and you are large and you are in control. Amen. But then when something goes wrong, your invisible eyes see, oh, Jehovah, my source. Oh, Jehovah, the one I depend on. Oh, Jehovah, who is my everything. Amen. The Lord was here. Or surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew not. I knew it not. What are the situations in your life that God is in? These days, Christianity is only when pleasant things happen. Just before I came, you know, it was Bishop's birthday. So I had a little dinner for him in the house with the pastors. And then, and, and in Ghana, when we talk about just Kodesh, PFI, you are thinking about close to 200. And if you add everybody, lay pastors, full-time, everybody's. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you, have, you even have to divide it. Do you see? So, and I was telling them that the strength of a house or if, of even a relationship is not built on good times. In good times, you will never know the materials you have built your house with. It's when there's a storm that it will be revealed what type of material you have built with. So, so far as Lady Reverend keeps being very nice to you, sweet, that's not the relationship. So far as things are going well, that's not the relationship. It is when I rub you the wrong way. And if our relationship can still stand after I've rubbed you the wrong way, then the Lord surely is in that relationship. Hallelujah. But when you are growing up, you think that life is, love is some perfect thing that is not tried, is not whatever, you know? I was telling them on radio in Ghana that 
I'm always surprised at love surface because Mills and Boone never said that. All the love stories never said love surface. But the Bible would tell you, I said, love surface. And not only it suffers long. And then the next verse is, love is kind. So as you are suffering long, you are also kind. Hey, surely the Lord is in this place. Amen. Do you see the Lord in your affliction and in your hardships? Do you see the Lord in difficult, stony situations, uncomfortable situations? We are all built up for comfort. Christians today, pampering, pampering alone. Even when we are fast, we say, oh, take a little fruit for your stomach's sake. Take a little this for you. Because if we just do it up to a certain point, you, you will die, you will give up, you know. Some people get popomatics. But because we are used to just comfort, nice things. The thing that reveals to me whether I love God, whether I love his work, and whether I love his people, is suffering and trials. It's when people do things they shouldn't do. And freak out in ways they shouldn't freak out. And if, by the grace of God, I can still love them, then that thing is powerful. Then God is in it. Amen. Since you came to the church, you have not been offended yet, some of you. So you think we are so wonderful. Oh, I've joined such a wonderful church. They are so sweet. Oh, glory to God. Lady Reverend, the love I'm finding. When you sleep on the stones, will you still see God? Will you say, what a church. We don't believe biblical prophecies. Because Paul said, I'm going away. And many wolves will come among the sheep. But then when it happens, I would say, what? In the church of God? How could somebody have done that? What? In church? But Paul said there will be wolves. In sheep's clothing. Amen. It says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He said that when the wheat is grown, tears will be sown amongst them. So why is that when you see tears, you are surprised? The Bible says it's the fire that reveals what we have built with. Amen. Amen. It's not when he becomes powerful and he's coming with his family and he has become a company and he has not. No. That's not when you see that God is with you, pa. You are prospering. But in tribulation, in difficulty, when your head is on stones, as a pillow. Look, no matter how poor you are, pillow dear. Everybody can afford it. And you can even take one when you are traveling, even on the aircraft. You know, you can even have one for neck support. But this one, he had nothing except his father's with stones. And yet he said, this is the gate to heaven. We have to begin to speak spiritually. When we see spiritually, it will affect our words. You know? So when you are going through something, you won't say, hey, mommy, it hasn't been easy. Very bad, you know? You will say, it hasn't been easy, but God's hand is in it. Because of what you are seeing. Because you see the invisible. Hallelujah. Sometimes and often, I counsel people that it looks like there's no hope. But I've seen God turn around so many lives that I know 
that the invisible hand of God is at work. So what I'm not seeing in them now, I know that it will come. Amen. Amen. The Lord was here, surely, and I knew it not. Some of you will not say that God is there. You say, once I didn't see, he was not there. He was there, but you could not see the invisible. The Bible says he rose up early in the morning and he put the stone that he had put for his pillows, he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He gave all that he had, including the stones. When you go through a rock and a hard place, make an altar out of the stones that your head should be upon. Upon. Make an altar, a place of worship out of the stony and difficult place because you are seeing the invisible. What did he have? He had nothing. So he took the stones that he had used and he made it a pillar. Amen. Amen. And when he made it a pillar, he poured oil upon it. The very stone that had been a source of discomfort had become a thing of worship. Take the stones, the things that are uncomfortable for you, the things that are difficult for you, take them, gather them as stones and build an altar unto him. Because that's what you do when you see the invisible. He poured oil upon it. Amen. Amen. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means the house of bread or the house of God. And that is where he made a vow with God. If you keep me, if you prosper my way, if you do this and that, then when I I get whatever, I'll give you a tenth of what you are doing. Surely the Lord was in the place. And he knew it not. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Numbers 22. It's about the prophet Balaam. Verse 15. It's about Balak trying to get Balaam to curse the people of God. Okay. Let's read from verse 11. Behold, there's a people come out of Egypt which covered the face of the earth. Come now, curse me, curse me them. Their adventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princess of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refused to give me leave to go with you. Verse 15, And Balak sent yet again princes, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Let nothing I pray thee hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto very great honor. And tell you, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Verse 20, I believe. No, I want to skip. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet... The word which I say unto thee, thou shalt, shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went. And God's anger was kindled because he went. You see, sometimes God tells you to go. 
Not because his heart is with you, but because you are forcing. He's advising you, you, your heart, you want to go. He said they should sleep, they should come. They should. So God said, go. But my heart is not with you. He's angry with you, but he says go. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord. Sometimes our stubbornness and our rebelliousness and our uncounselable behavior and our disobedience makes us not see. It is the donkey who sees the angel of the Lord. We don't see the invisible. It's the donkey because when you are so set in your ways, when you are so bent on this is it, I want it this way. I'll have it no other way. Nobody should tell me to do it any other way. This is the only way I want. God says, okay, go. But his anger is kindled against you. And even as you are going, and things are impediments in your way, because you don't see the invisible, you don't see the angel, so much so that animals can appreciate the things of the kingdom more than you. And this is a key that rebellion stubbornness, lack of malleability. You can't bend to anything. Disobedience. A drive for something. You see, sister, you have a drive for a certain sister. A drive for a certain brother. And we are telling you, this is not the one for you. She may be for somebody else, but for you, this is not. But because you are just following desire, you are driven. The Bible says we are driven by our lusts and our desires. So you are driven so much so that the donkey that you are riding on can say, hey, here's an angel. The angel is standing in the way. But you, the child of God, even a prophet, you cannot see the angel. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. And the angel had his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey that I don't like the word as donkey, turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he hit the donkey again. What the donkey is seeing, you, the child of God, you are not seeing. And you are beating people, beating situations, trying to let them work. And even the donkey has such spiritual eyes that he decides that I can't disobey God. I have to go into a wall and bash your foot and crash and still you are smiting the donkey. He should go in that journey. He should be on that path. He should set his face like flint and not hear anything else. Even if you saw the invisible, perhaps you would have seen that. What is this donkey seeing? That I'm not seeing. Sometimes we belittle ourselves so much that even animals and other creatures can appreciate the things of God more. Amen. He smote the poor donkey. Hmm. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn. <laughs> Either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, 
She fell down under Balaam. She has gone into a wall. She has done the, you keep beating her. Now, directed path. God has closed the right and the left, but you don't see. The Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So even when we're coming through the airport, I said to LPBM, oh, these are directed paths because this is the only place we can be. And she said, oh, that window is so great. You know, you can't turn to the left, you can't turn to the right. The donkey can see that this is the only way, but still. But still. We need invisible eyes to see the places that are closed. To see the places that God is preventing you from going. You say, no. See, the donkey couldn't turn anywhere else. Left is closed, right is closed. And you are beating it. What should it do? Go through the roof? The Lord is here and I knew it not. And now the donkey just fell under Balaam. It's like, I've put your foot into the wall. But you are not getting it to now, you know. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he smote the donkey with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? Donkeys are talking, you are still not hearing. And a, a phrase that keeps coming is, Balaam's anger was kindled. Anger closes your visibility. Anger makes you not able to see things from a spiritual perspective. You just see them from a carnal perspective. They did this and they said this about me. And all that is true, but it's a carnal perspective. What about the invisible? What about that which the eye cannot see? Amen. Now the donkey, you have beaten him and he's so surprised that you can't see the angel. So now God opened his mind. He said that three times you keep striking, smiting. What is the problem? And even when a donkey talks, you still don't hear. That's the extent of our unyieldedness. That's the extent of our self-centeredness. It has to be my way. It has to be my method. It has to be what I know. It has to be what I'm comfortable with. And God had already told him, don't curse the people. God has already told you. But you are forcing to make something that is not the will of God become the will of God. Somebody was going to be the somebody recently. And then I said, I know the sister. And she has not known the Lord for long. And she's working on a lot of things. So this is not the time for you to be beloved doze. So if you are looking for a beloved, look elsewhere. And I had been having different sessions with the sister. Do this, do this. And sometimes when I send her a text, and then she goes through something, she'll send me the text back. Do you understand? Like a text I usually send her is, they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Because she has to leave so many of her boyfriends. Official and unofficial. So, then she'll send me a text. Oh, mommy, this morning is so hard. Then she'll quote the verse. They that shall live godly. Now, this brother too feels that he's really in love. So I said, look, 
there's so much work going on. So if you want a beloved now, this is not the person. I cannot even vouch, number one, that she will be faithful to you at this time because of what we are working on. Well, I don't know what the brother went to say. I was there, no, the sister brought me. A script. I believe what? You have misunderstood what I was saying. You have done this. You have an idea. You this. Oh. And the sister is some humble sister around. But suddenly she had some audacity in the letter. And then I replied. I said, do you think that there's anything about you that I cannot say to your face? You think about it. Has there been anything that I've not said to you directly? That if I want to tell you something... I'll go through euphemisms, imagery. No, no, no. Direct. I've been married to my husband for 22 years, so direct. Amen. But he's, it's like you are being constrained, but this is what you want. This is what you want by all means. And at all costs. And I'm telling you that this thing will hurt you. I, this one is not even a divine revelation. It's just Knowledge. Just normal knowledge of what I know. And I'm telling you that this person does not have any foundation. So it's not now. You know? And also she's very young. I don't know how long you can wait. But it's not now. You know? And you are forcing. And even when I've advised you, you've got to tell the sister that I'm trying to make the relationship not work. And then when I sent the text, even the reply, the person has changed. She was not like that. The reply was some flippant. I said, hey. So I told my husband, in fact, if it were not God. Because my work is so much in terms of pastoral care. You can ask help you, Shelly. I never have enough time to see people. And even when they come, they are told, one second, two seconds, two minutes. Okay, you, you are out. You, you are. And this one. Because we are a work in progress every time. That's why you're not even scheduled. But I feel that God has brought you for a purpose. I say, let her come. Let her come. Let her. And then now you send me this flippant text. Hey, don't I have enough work in the church and in the world than to be concerned about your little relationship? What am I taking it to? But the angel is in the way telling this brother, not here, not there. Don't go. And he's still smiting the donkey. He wants to go. So I've left him. He should go crying. He should be happy. He should be happy. He should discover for himself. But it's painful to look at a life. And I've seen it. I've seen it. When I ask missionaries, who do you want to marry? 42, 38, 56, all sorts of things. Using those things to marry, no matter how spiritual. That's what the brothers, their problem is different. They can even see a Chinese girl they don't know and still want her. <laughs> the, the, the donkey asked, How has thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the donkey, Because thou hast mocked me. I would there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill thee. And the donkey said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And his sword drawn in his hand. 
And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thy donkey these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the donkey saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her life. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. Amen. Amen. The donkey has to speak. He said that if it were not but for the donkey, the sword in the heart of the angel was to slay you. That's God's mercy that he opened his eyes. He had been going on a physical journey. And it's when the Lord opened his eyes, he saw it, I have sinned. I've sinned. So sometimes the reason why you are so unyielding, unbending, not receiving counsel, whatever, is because your eyes have not been opened. You don't see your sin because you are totally blinded. And spiritual blindness is worse than physical blindness. But you are blinded totally. You cannot see the invisible. But when you see the invisible, it brings you to a place of repentance. You see sin as sin, not something else. You see sin as sin, your sin, not blaming others. Hitting donkeys and blaming them is not their fault. It's your disobedience and your unyielded nature. He endured as seeing him who is invisible in many. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now it came to pass, chapter 1, in the 30th year, in the 4th month, in the 5th day of the month, I was among the captives by the river of Cheba, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the 5th day of the month, which was the 5th year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Cheba, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire, and so forth and so on. Now, Ezekiel was with a group of people, but he was the only one who saw. Sometimes when you see the invisible, when you see God's hand, when you see what God is doing or what he's saying, you may be in a crowd, but you are the only one who sees. It is not a crowd thing. It is an individual thing. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that he was with a group of people. But when Jesus met him, he was the only one who could see. He was the only one who could hear. All the others could not see and all the others could not hear. So you may be with a group. You may even be on the same journey. You may be moving in the same direction. But you may not all have the same eyes. And we all need to pray that God will open our eyes. Because what Ezekiel was saying, he was among captives. He was seeing a whirlwind, fire, this, the captives, the rest of the people were not seeing that. The same with Daniel. 
When he saw his visions, it was by a river. All the people couldn't see, but he could see. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Look visible. Luke 24. Verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And where they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Amen. Amen. They had been walking with Jesus. The road to miles was not a short journey. He had been talking to them, telling them about the scripture, whatever, but they still could not see. Hmm? And the Bible says that Jesus said, Oh fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He didn't say, Oh fools, and you don't believe. But when you are at slow of heart to believe, it affects your visibility spiritually. It's not that you don't believe, but everything you analyze, you're not sure. So God, you want to put God in a test too? That's what the developed world is going. Prove to me 25 reasons that you exist. Why this? If, if God was in it, then why this? Then why that? Then why that? But the Bible says that all oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. When you are slow to believe, you develop spiritual blindness. He didn't say, oh, it's not your fault, you know. 
you really couldn't see that it was me. The Bible says that their eyes were blinded. And the reason why their eyes were blinded were because they are slow of heart to believe. When God tells you anything about your life, your destiny, what he wants to do with you, are you slow of heart to believe? When he tells you anything, you know, says that you have need of patience. In this, your marriage, what you need is patience. So that after you have done the will of God, you may inherit the promises. Say, so, uh, me, I don't have patience for such things. Slow of heart to believe. When the Bible says submit, you say sub what? You are slow of heart to believe. My husband told me to preach to you about 25 reasons why daughters do not marry. And why they are discontented. No, why they have unstable marriages sometimes. 25 reasons. So we'll come to that. Hopefully, hopefully. But you are slow of heart to believe that God's word is superior to your wisdom. You are slow of heart to believe that God's word is greater than your experience. You are slow of heart to believe that God's word is superior to your mother's advice. You are slow of heart to believe that God's word is superior to your emotions and how you feel. Oh, Lady Reverend, I feel sad. I feel depressed. If we were all to move by sadness and depression, do you think we will be here today? I wouldn't even have come. If it's sadness and depression, then I wouldn't have come. It's true. Because we arrived on Wednesday morning. On Wednesday morning. And when we finally arrived and settled down, I was just sitting down and I began to think about something that I didn't think had affected me so much. And I just started to cry in London here. I wept so much. I said, Lord, why? Why? So if it's weeping and depression, then uh, I'll just sit in it. Slow of heart to believe. And some of you come and stand at the gate. Give us our 35 pounds. It will not be easy for the organizers. 25. Slow of heart to believe. The Bible says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some of you. You don't believe it. That's why you go to church in shifts. You, you behave the way you do because you are slow of heart to believe what God's word has said. I think that one of the things that have given me staying power is that I've always felt that I'm a dummy where God's word is concerned. I've always felt that God's word is superior. It's not that it's always easy to do. But I just feel that it's superior. I was telling them about the Kodesh daughter that if I had not learned by the grace of God to forgive people like Bishop Saki, I would not be standing. And then he got up, forgive. It's okay. Leave it. That's what the Kodesh one I'm preaching there is not easy. Interjections and, you know. When I say something, they'll say, why are you using imagery? Say it properly from down there. Slow of heart to believe. Many of us are slow of heart. That's why our lives are the way they are. 
You are in the church, you believe, you've given your life to Christ, but the slowness, the zeal and the haste with which you embrace certain things is not that zeal and the haste that you use to believe God's way. Some of you are so melancholic that you are suspicious of everything, including God. Including God and his word. You want him to give you 30 reasons why you can see that he will do what he has said. Slow of heart to believe. Melancholics can give very high standards. And when you don't meet it too, it's not easy. But they are wonderful people. (laughs) And when you are slow of heart to believe, Jesus calls you a fool. I didn't. I don't call people fools. And well, that's not true. Last week I called somebody a fool. But I didn't say you are a fool. He had been in a relationship with some sister and had said, Are you sure what's going on? And then at a point, the bishops had called him because they were having major World War II, World War III. He said, Look, break this relationship. And I think the sister wasn't also game, so they were just going on. And then after everything, They've been in a relationship for a long time. And at the time they were supposed to break up, maybe it was about two years ago. Now they said they've come back. Then he just went for some short trip. He came back and told me, I've broken up. <laughs> when they have set a wedding date. So I said, you are a foolish boy. Do you understand? Do you understand the word foolish? You are foolish. Oh, mommy, I've never heard you speak like that. I said, now I'm speaking like that. You are a foolish boy. Do you understand it? Everybody knows this, your beloved. You've gone for all the marriage counseling. And every time I see you, I ask you, how is it? Oh, it's working. Oh, mommy, it's working. Anyway, I listened to a message. Obedience and to sacrifice. And then that I said, you are lying. You are a foolish boy and you are lying. Because you already had it in your heart. Say that the message buttressed or pushed what, but don't say that. That is what. Then after I told you was a foolish boy about this, I accept it. Mommy, I accept. I said, you are a foolish boy. I accept it. I said, how do you go through marriage counseling with somebody? Everybody knows. You've even set a date this summer. And then you come and tell me that all along, you are a foolish boy. Mommy, I accept it. And then after about the sixth one, I said, you know, the Bible says nobody should call anybody a fool. So I have to look for a, a proper synonym to address you. So I won't say you are a foolish boy again. He said, so mommy, what will you say? (laughs) So the Bible says that when you are slow of understanding, Jesus said, slow of believing. He said, oh fools, slow to believe. Slow to believe. So it is foolish to be slow to believe. Because then it accentuates your blindness. You won't see. But whatever God has said, you are not quick to believe it. Believe in his goodness. Believe in his faithfulness. Believe in what he says that he will do. Believe in who he says he is. It's not your experiences that's going to change his nature. Slow to believe. Oh, fools, with all apology. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures 
the things concerning himself. He didn't leave them in their blind state. He started to expound scripture to them. Scripture opens your eyes. That's why David said, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy holy law. Scripture opens your eyes. It waters the ground. When you are quick to believe, it also waters the ground. And it leads to an opening of your eyes. So he went on further with them. And it was in fellowship and in breaking bread. When he took the bread, he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. But I believe I had begun from when he began to expound the scriptures. And then the fellowship with him. When you fellowship with him, your eyes will be open to see who he is, to see the invisible. But if you don't fellowship with him, you will just be walking on the road to miles with him, but you will not see him. If you don't allow the scriptures to make you quick to believe, you are going to wallow in blindness. But as you come close to him and you fellowship with him, look, when you have walked with God deeply for some time, it reveals more of himself. He reveals more of himself to you. That is the reality. And this is also a scripture I use to encourage people to be hospitable. Because when Jesus was constrained to go, some of you, you would have said, continue your journey because even when you come, it's an inconvenience. Am I now going to heat things, cook things, try and go? Okay, see you. You will even ask him, Jesus, have you eaten? Jesus, are you Okay. Jesus, do you have any need? Not cup of tea, real food. <laughs> London, you like giving cup of tea too much. You need to go further than that. Amen. A kappa, every day a kappa because it costs you nothing. Next to nothing. But Jesus was just testing them. The Bible says, he, he made himself as if he was going further. And then the people constrained him. So when people come to your home, don't say, will you eat? <laughs> Are you hungry? Will you eat? Do you want some more? You must constrain them. Say, eat. Have this. Have that. Have some more. Then the person will say, I'm okay, but not, Are you okay? And when the person says, I'm okay, say, it's good. Tomorrow too, we can eat the rest. Amen. Some of you don't like cooking, so you have calculated that that stew will last for five weeks. Five weeks. And you are praying that the guests will not eat all. So in order to intimidate that guest, say, are you okay? Will you eat? Like my husband says, if I've come from a program and it's late at night, I'm a Christian, and you come and tell me that, will I eat? I won't eat. I won't eat. I'm about to preach hosting 101 again because we need it. Just one person coming to your house, you freak that you don't even know how to behave. Now what should we say about homecoming and ISI? Thousands of people. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Snack, lunch, and dinner. What will you say? Hey, what type of trouble is this? The Bible says some have entertained angels unawares. They have not had angels unawares. Entertained. 
entertained. Entertainment. Entertainment. Unawares. And some of you, because of your hosting disability, Jesus would not have even been given any bread to uh, break. You will give him tea. No bread to break. It's finished. Once I was doing marriage counseling, I asked the sister, are you ready to marry? She said, yes. I said, are you ready to provide food and all that? Oh, did you ever? I'm a fruit person. I'm a fruit person. So I think he just has to adjust to that. When we come home, when we come in the evening, we all have a bowl of fruit and we should be okay. And you are marrying an Ashanti man. You say you should be okay with what? Fruits. You must be kidding. Amen. And instead of sitting there and saying, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. I don't know that. You can learn it. Amen. Nobody's already made. You can learn it. And what even surprises me is the fact that Paul told Timothy in the church oh, that the younger, older women should teach the younger women to guide the house. I was surprised because I thought that it would be taught elsewhere, parents, mothers, but not in the church. But there was a deficiency. He said they should teach them to guide the house. So when I was talking to them in Accra, they said they are ready to marry. I said, the marriage of the lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Are you ready? Because you will be working. You will be cooking. You will be looking after children. You can have very uncooperative husbands. What are you going to do? To guide the house. Amen. He was going further, but they constrained him. They constrained him means that they forced him. They forced him and said, oh, Jesus, come. Some of us would have said that we are all on the journey together. There's nothing to give you at home. There's nothing at home. But you must learn how to host people instantaneously and impromptu. Learn it. Learn it. Don't be so structured. Now we all came for the camp, so there's nothing at home. No. So Jesus, sit down. I can fix something very fast. Oh, can I give you some appetizers before? Would you like some chips and some pretzels or something? As I quickly go and fix. I said, we are all from camp. We are all tired. This Jesus, he should try not to sleep here tonight. <laughs> Amen, ladies. You have to... This is a, a different topic altogether, but it's on my heart, so I've digressed. You have to anticipate people's needs. They don't always have to come and ask you, will you give me this? Can I have this? Will you eat? Can I have this now? Can I? Why? You should anticipate people's needs. If you really want to help people, you must anticipate their needs. And sometimes the way to anticipate that is to put yourself in the person's shoes. When you get home, what do you feel like having? When you have traveled and you come, what do you feel like doing? The calculation is too much. The calculation is too much. The self-preservation is too much. You can't even feel the family spirit in the church. You go to a house, the food is being cooked, you can smell it, but they'll never offer you any. 
Because you have put a ruler. You have put a ruler by the foot. Four cups. You, your husband, and your two children. So this visitor that has come for follow-up, if you offer him, it will change your equation. Why do you cook with so much ruler? Why do you cook with a ruler by it? Why? And yet you want God to be generous with you without a ruler. You want God to measure things to you without a ruler. Oh, have an open heart, a generous heart. What is food? Food is just perishable something. And even we in Africa, who are so-called deprived people, we don't behave like you. Ah, why? Some of you, your husbands have become scavengers in the house. Every day cereal. Every day cereal. Hey. Madam Kellogg's. Madam Kellogg's. Madam Kellogg's. They constrained him. They constrained him. They constrained him to come in and eat bread with them. They constrained him. There's nothing you will do in life that is not an inconvenience. Amen. Even making babies, the process is very inconvenient. inconvenient. You can't marry without being inconvenienced. Some have entertained angels. Anna West, sit down. <laughs> But they constrained him saying, abide with us. Abide. Not just pass through, abide with us. Whatever you have, you just share. It doesn't have to be a palace or anything. You just share. Abide with us. For it is toward evening. They were anticipating Jesus' need. It's, it's sunset. It's not the right time to travel. You must be tired. It's towards evening. And the day is fast spent. And he went in. To tarry with them. If they had missed that visitation. If they had missed that chance to be hospitable. Their eyes would not have been opened. And they would have missed a very important junction of their lives. Abide with us. The day is far spent. You must be tired. Come in and be with us. And whatever we have, we will share with you. That doesn't mean you won't cook. You say, I have only water. Hey. When he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then suddenly, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Not that they just saw him, but suddenly they knew him. Fellowship with the master makes you know him. Fellowship with the master opens your eyes. And then when you see your, when your eyes are open and you see what you should see, you know him. You know him. Just like sometimes you're in the house, when somebody you share a flat with or your husband or whatever comes in, opens the door, the person, you don't need to see the person, just the footsteps, the movements. Johnny, is that you? Honey, is that you? 
fellowship brings us close. I, had, I have a friend who's always calling her husband honey. So I said, so when you quarrel, what do you say? It becomes chilly. <laughs> chilly, baby. She said, when I'm angry, I don't mention his name. I don't have any title. I just say what I have to say. But our eyes are opened when we come closer to the master. Our eyes are opened when we are quick and not slow to believe the scriptures. These are the things that lead us to opening of eyes to see the Lord the way that we ought to see him. Amen. Amen. Matthew 13 verse 16. Matthew 13 verse 16. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you the many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Amen. Amen. Now, before then, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says that I speak to you in parables because, you know, some people seeing they do not see and hearing they do not understand. And um, the verse... 15 says, for these people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them, but blessed are your eyes. Amen. Amen. So sometimes people's hearts wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and they have by themselves closed their eyes. Because they don't want to see and they don't want to hear and they don't want to understand with their hearts because they are afraid of being converted. And when they are converted, then he can heal them. But they are not prepared to go through all those processes. So even how far we see or whether we see also depends on our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said they have closed their eyes. Sometimes the God of the world, of this world has blinded your eyes. But you also have helped by closing your eyes. And not making yourself come to the place of believing. To be converted. He says after you are converted, I don't leave you just there. I also heal you. So the ultimate healing and wholeness of our lives begins with seeing. So we need to see. Some people don't see that they are sinners. Some people don't see that they need Christ. Some people don't see that they need to be saved. Some people don't see that they need to be serious with God. They don't see all these things. They close their eyes. When anything spiritual is coming to them, they close their eyes. They don't want to see. And Jesus says that when they see, they will be converted. But they don't want to even come to that point. And when they are converted, they will be healed. But blessed are you because you see. Amen. Amen. So the fact that you have seen... And even giving your life to Christ means you are blessed. That is even a blessing. Before you even begin to see other things in the realm of the spirit. Amen. Amen. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. 
So many prophets and righteous men desire to see, but have not seen them. In their time, God did not reveal himself so openly. Sometimes we think that God was very powerful in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, where God has come to live in man, it's something that would have blown the minds of the people of old. But blessed are our eyes when we see. And I pray that the Lord will bless our eyes so that we'll see. Finally, Matthew 5 verse 8. <laughs> Matthew 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We have said that when we are quick to believe, we can see. Quick to believe God's word, quick to believe the scriptures. We will not be fools, we will be able to see. When we fellowship with him, our eyes are opened and we see. And then we begin to know him. And when our eyes are blessed, we ourselves cooperate with the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. We receive more sight and our eyesight is blessed. And the Bible is saying that blessed are the pure in heart also, for they shall see God. Purity, holiness, is something that helps you to see God. Because sin blinds us. Sin does not make us see the invisible, does not make us see the way we should see. But the Bible says that the purity of your heart determines what you will see. And the purity of our hearts makes us see God. And I believe that that is why David prayed, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Because then he had sinned. He had taken Bathsheba. The Lord said, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword of Ammon. You may not have been there present at, at that time. You may not have done that physically, but you facilitated it and therefore you are a murderer. And when Nathan came to him, he said, create in me. He went into the temple, into the presence of God. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And I believe that when we are pure of heart, we shall see God. Amen. We shall see him in the way, unlike Balaam. Because sin can drive you. Like Balaam was going because Balak was going to give him a lot of worldly goods. Honor, money, I will promote you. Everything you ask me, I will give you. Everything. So that sin of being driven at all costs, whether it pleases God or not, you are going by all means. Because you are so driven, you become blind. But when you are pure in heart, you can see. Amen. And so we just want to stand to our feet. We want to see God's face. And we want to say, purify our hearts. Let it be as gold and precious silver. Worship choir, please help me. Forget about who is on your left, who is on your right. Ask him to anoint your eyes with eyesalve so that you may see the invisible. Ask him to anoint your eyes like Jacob's so that even though you are in a dreadful place, you will see that the Lord is here. 
Shall we just close our eyes? Purify my heart. Let me be as Let us lay our desires at the altar. The things that are not of him. Self-will. We have exalted self above God. Above his word. We have sought our own comforts and our own way. Oh, may he purify our hearts so that we can see.
the Lord will not despise. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on us. We have gone our own way. Our hearts have been filled with self. We have been so worldly. We have been driven by our own desires. We have promoted our own agenda instead of your agenda. We have been carnal. We have been fleshly. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Sweet Holy Spirit. Oh, do dwell us again in the full capacity. Oh, have mercy. Cleanse us from every sin. Cleanse us from our foolish ways. Cleanse us from self-will. Cleanse us from stubbornness. Cleanse us from disobedience. Forgive us for our pride. Oh, our lack of humility. We have not been yielded to you. We have gone our own way. Have mercy. Have mercy. Oh, Kabbalah Boshande ne mamala babande. Minde ne mamala budo moshondo ne yande. Inde ne mamala kude bashende ne mamala baba. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. For they shall see God. For they shall see God. He kabbara boshande ne mama. Inde ne mama laya. We have been slow to believe. We have doubted your word. We have not lived as children of God. Forgive us, Lord. We have used our bodies in the wrong way. We have used our bodies in the wrong way. We have defiled your temple. Have mercy. Have mercy. Let your blood cleanse us. Let your blood deliver us. Oh, let the saving grace of Jesus abound on our behalf. Have mercy, Lord. From your heart, created me a clean heart. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Mean what you are saying from your heart.
us have lost the joy of our salvation. Some of us have lost the excitement of knowing God. Some of us are in weary places. And the Lord is telling me he wants to touch you this afternoon. If you are standing anywhere and you want to say, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Just lift up your hands. You want to say, I'm weary. Strengthen my weary hands, Lord. Lift them up again. The joy that I had in knowing you has waned. Restore unto me. Keep your hands the joy up. Of that salvation. The Bible says he restoreth your soul. He's your shepherd. He restores your soul. Receive restoration from his presence. Restoration of your strength as a child of God. Restoration of your zeal. Restoration of your drive for the things of God. Restoration of the joy of, the, of your salvation. Restoration from weariness to strength. The Lord is doing it. have increased our joy has gone down as the battles have increased our strength and our zeal for the things of God have gone down Lord cleanse our hearts 
from all idols that we have made in our lives, known and unknown. Deliver us from hidden sins like the psalmist prayed. Cleanse us by your blood. For if you should mark iniquity, we shall stand. But you are a God of mercy to a thousand generations. We come to your throne of grace, Lord, this afternoon. That we may receive mercy and grace to help us in this time of need. May everything that the caterpillar, the cankerworm, and the palmer worm have eaten, anything that has been devoured that should not have been devoured, may the Lord restore. May the Lord restore. May the Lord restore. Thank you, Father. Create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Give us pure hearts, for we yearn to see you. In that temptation, we yearn to see you so that we can see the way of escape. But we cannot see because we are blinded by our sins, by our shortcomings, and sometimes by our tears and our emotions. We bring our hearts to you, Lord. New hearts, cleansed hearts. Please don't take the Holy Spirit from us. We may have quenched him. We may have grieved him, but don't take him away from us. Thank you for pure hearts through which we see God. Thank you for your help. That we will not be slow in believing your word. And believing the things that you have said concerning us. That we will learn to fellowship with you. May our fellowship with you be sweet. For it is in fellowshipping and breaking bread with you that we get to know you. Oh, how comforting it is to know in your word that you are the one who is at work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. How comforting it is to know that it's not by might, nor by our power, but by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for purity of heart that comes from only you. And through that, Lord, we shall see you. Thank you for answered prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.